am so excited to be chatting with the one and only Cassie Kurtz today. Cassie is a well-renowned barber and makeup artist from New York City. She has done so many amazing things for this industry already, especially working with fighting stereotypes. I can't wait to chat with the one and only Cassie Kurtz today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, absolutely, Cassie. I'm thrilled to chat with you today. Um, I feel like your story and the reason behind this podcast relates so much, um, you know, fighting stereotypes, beating those stereotypes. And so I can already tell this conversation is going to be amazing. But I want to start, I want you to tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from and what made you decide to become a hairstylist. Awesome. Uh, so I, when I teach my classes, I kind of set up the syllabus like a roadmap and I love using a roadmap or the analogy of one because my career has been anything less than straightforward. I started off as a ballerina and I injured myself, uh, right before my first season. So wanting to stay in the industry, wanting to live in, you know, the village, especially Greenwich Village in Manhattan. I decided to become a makeup artist, which was a huge 180 for my family. But to me, it felt like the right fit. Luckily, I met a really great mentor named Margina during that time. And she really helped me figure out the industry uh, from the makeup perspective. And as time went on, I realized that my niche was not in, you know, creative or avant-garde or special effects makeup, um, but it was in really natural makeup. And I ended up getting a lot of calls for men's grooming. And as a men's groomer, I was asked to do all different hairstyles on haircuts that were not built for those hairstyles. I was asked to do a pompadour on a crew cut and a crew cut style on a pompadour or like, you know, really long length. And it was frustrating to say the least. So I one day uh, told my then ex-boyfriend that I wanted to become a barber and bless him. You know, he's a uh, Eastern block. He's, he's Slovak. And he turned to me and he said, women don't become barbers hmm. and they be, you know, maybe become hairstylists, but barbers are men. And so, uh, the long story short is I broke up with him. <laughs> I signed up for barber school. It was really just supposed to be uh, an interim, right? Something to help bolster my makeup career, my men's grooming career. And this past October was eight years since I signed up. Wow. So you have been <laughs> barbering for eight years now. I have been. Yeah. So where did you start out working when you first got out of school? I started at a men's salon, upscale men's salon called John Allen's, where you can only do scissor cuts and only or only scissor cuts unless a client requested the clippers specifically. And all of the women were referred to as stylists. Not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, my title did say barber. Mm -hmm. And only the men were referred to as barbers. And it was an unspoken rule because legally, you can't say that out loud, but, you know, they never let the women do uh, straight shaves. They never let the women do much more than, you know, a haircut itself. And that was really frustrating for me because I really wanted to to do hot towel shaves that at the time was one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you worked, you started out working in another um, barber shop. And so how long into your career did you open? Cause I now you own your own studio, correct? 
Yeah, I have one of those private studios, um, salon suites, essentially, in Midtown East. I just moved there back in October. But I started my, you know, studio experience beyond the beard. Um, I think August was three years ago. But prior to that, I had been kind of renting a chair without an identity for about six months or so. So or a year even, I don't even remember, but it's been about four years or so. Yeah, absolutely. So going into being a barber, what were your goals when you first started out in barber school and fresh out of school? What were your goals then? (laughs) My goals going into barber school was to uh, be there as little as possible, learn the basics and get the heck out. (laughs) Uh, Our shampoo bowls didn't even work there. It was pretty run down. Um, But I ended up having an incredible teacher named David and he saw that I took a keen interest in scissor work um, and shaves. So he really enjoyed kind of helping me out additionally. Um, so once I left barber school, my goals uh, when I went to John Allen's uh, was really just to have have a consistent income. You know, they did hourly pay plus tips as a freelancer. That was um, something really to look forward to. And to just utilize the education that they offered um, and and hopefully, you know, make some good money uh, and not realizing that it would really last more than six months or a year. I didn't even think it would last that long, to be honest. Yeah, huh. absolutely. I mean, as far as, you know, clientele goes, did you have like a certain kind of clientele that you were looking to build, um, you know, as soon as you got out of school and has that changed since then? <laughs> Not women. Um, as pro women and pro female as I am, I until the last few years, I should say, maybe it's actually been quite a few years now. But um, when I first went to barber school, uh, I did not want to touch really women's hair. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to blow dry it. I still don't. To be fair, I hate doing long hair blow dries. Um, I really just wanted to take men because I had this super myopic view that clientele, depending on gender, was difficult. When, you know, now eight years later, I can certainly say it's not the gender, it's the person. It's it's a people thing. If you're going to be difficult, you're going to be difficult regardless of, you know, male, female, non-binary, anything. You know, you will be a difficult client. And I'm I guess for me, as I grew as a barber, I really wanted just easy clients that trusted me. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. So as far as your clientele goes, so you're, you love, you love people that, it sounds like you love people that appreciate you and, you know, you just want to be trusted. I can totally relate, um, you know, as a hairstylist, I want to be trusted. I'm a professional, you know, I want people to come in my chair and, let me do what I feel like I do best. And so I can totally relate to that feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. So as far as being a woman barber, which by the way, I want you to know, I think that is so cool. And I think that is total boss (laughs) of you. Um, You know, I have a few women barber friends as well, and they're by far the coolest people that walk on the planet. (laughs) But um, there's just something about them, you know, and I, I'm always jealous. I can't, you know, doing, doing men, day in, day out, as far as, you know, the creative part of men's cutting, that's just something that I think the hairstylist and cosmetology side, they miss out on how creative you can be 
with men's cutting? So I think it just comes in different ways, to be honest with you. Like I love color. I love what chemical services can do. I love that perms have like this resurgence now and you can actually make them look really natural and beautiful. And with my license in New York state, I'd never be able to do any of that. Really? So you, um, in New York, you can't do colors and any kind of chemical processes. I'm allowed to do a single process basically. So, um, but I, I choose not to just because I'd rather direct them towards folks who, you know, they already have the color lines. They, they have the knowledge, they have the theory and they can, you know, really take care of them and ensure the color lasts long and healthy. Whereas for me, it's like, I never even got the class on it. Why we're even allowed to do it? I'm not sure, but everything I've learned about it, I've had to piece together watching other folks and asking questions. Yeah. Okay. I got, so tell me what a, like a typical day for you, you know, in, in the studio, what does that look like for you? Um, a typical day in the studio, I feel like because every day is so different, it's hard to describe, but for me, uh, the first part of my day, uh, I, I don't start in the studio till about 1130, 12 o'clock. I joke with my clients and I say, how much are you willing to pay for me to be a nice person before 11 a.m.? <laughs> uh, but I, I am functional before 11 a.m. It's just that I tend to do my office work and my phone calls and get into the studio earlier, do the laundry, right? Give the place a good deep clean to start the day, have copious amounts of coffee. And then... um a lot of times my days just consist prior to COVID consisted of me not stopping until well after closing time. Uh, now post quarantine during, you know, the new era of COVID, I, I find myself taking a lot more time for self care. So I've, I've really been diligent about taking a lunch break. I've tried to wear better shoes that might not be as cute, but are more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I tend to just not leave things till the last minute. I have a tendency to procrastinate at times. So right now my days look like a lot of prep work, especially if they're slightly slower given the rising numbers um, for the rest of the week so that I can set myself up. And, and even then, you know, in between clients, I answer emails from folks like yourself and Sydney. And, you know, I, I try to be good about social media. I'm really bad at it, but I try to be good about it. So it's a real mix up. It just depends on the day. <laughs> Social media is a full-time job. I always tell people, I'm like, we have multiple full-time jobs being hairstylists, barbers, anything in the, mm-hmm. any industry, but especially ours, um, you know, social media is the full-time job. You're still doing it when I'm doing it usually at night when I'm like, should be asleep, but I'm still working on mm-hmm. social media. <laughs> so <laughs> I completely understand for sure. So um, tell me a little bit about your you know, role as a barber. Have you faced any kind of challenges and how have you overcome them? Oh my gosh, plenty. Um, so I started off, like I said, in a space that mostly focused on scissor work. And I I didn't really feel comfortable with skin fades until about two years ago. And like I said, sometimes I have a tendency to procrastinate, but I try to take things that I'm not comfortable with head on. Um, interestingly enough, it was just always difficult for me to practice skin fades because the majority of my clientele didn't want them. So... um really just being diligent about finding models and and working at skin fades and sending my work out so folks could critique it that 
that was definitely a big hurdle for me as a barber and doubling on that feeling the the weight or the burden of being a woman and always feeling like you have to do twice the amount of work and do twice as well as guys. Not only is that an additional hurdle that I faced, but you know, it compounds with the fact that I feel like my skill set always needs to be just as good, if not better, to be taken seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always tell them when we talk about, you know, stereotypes, especially during the podcast, I'm like, that's how you beat them. You just be really, really, really good about, at your job. <laughs> <laughs> Prove everybody wrong. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> With so, sleep. As, we don't need that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what would you tell your younger self just starting out in this industry? Um, if you had any advice to tell her, what would you tell her? Oh, I would tell her a lot. <laughs> um, starting off in this industry, I would probably tell my younger self that, you know, social media is not real, right? That sounds so simple because we know that now it's become such a part of our daily lives that we've grown with it and we can recognize what might be fluff and might, what might be real. But to 21 year old me, 20 year old me, it was you know, what I had to stack up against. And I felt the need to keep up in every way possible in my career and, you know, my social life. And I think I would have been a lot kinder to myself and a lot easier on myself if I had just realized that everyone goes their own pace and nobody shows the bad stuff that often on social media. Yeah. That is so true. Social media is not real. 99.9% .9 of the time. <laughs> um, I find myself, you know, following those, those hairstylists and those people that are very real on social media. I love to see the good, bad and the ugly of people. You know, I think that's just goes for everyone. They want to see real life things. So I love that you said exactly. That. So I know you do makeup as well. Do you do makeup often or is that something that you're you've kind of put on the back burner since you've becoming a barber. Yeah. Initially, I was kind of torn between being a barber and a makeup artist. And it actually affected about every single one of my jobs before I became self-employed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they did not they did not like the fact that uh, I would come in there and they would only want to hire me for a day or two a week, right? That, that kind of person to plug in the holes of the schedule. Yeah. And then they would see I do well and knock on wood, I had great client retention. And I was just really genuinely good at what I did and at connecting with people. And I sure hope so, because I worked as a bartender, as a server, as a retail workers, and in my mom's small business since I was eight years old, you know, um, yeah. I, I am in the people business my whole life. And they would say, well, you can't take this day off for this shoot. And I would get frustrated because I'd say, well, I just covered like five days in the last month. Why can't I take one day off? So to answer your question, I was really bullheaded about being both until unfortunately I had a really bad experience with a major magazine and getting paid my invoice in a timely fashion and getting my credit for one of arguably my biggest shoots. And it was just enough for a wake up call for me to be like, you know what? I love working with celebrities. I love working on set as a makeup artist, but my clients are the ones who come in that door every day, every week, every month, and they pay me whatever I ask of them. They don't try and negotiate my rate. They don't try to pay 
in two weeks, in a month, in two months, in a year, <laughs> looking at that job. <laughs> and they're celebrities to me too, because they do a great job at whatever career they have or, you know, whatever they choose to do with their life. And about three years ago, I decided to go pretty much full-time barber. Occasionally, I do pick up men's grooming shoots because that's what I truly love doing if I am going to be on set. But the majority of my days are spent working behind the chair in my studio. Yeah, awesome. Well, and as far, far as celebrities, I know that you currently work with, you know, so many cool people like the Impractical Jokers, Big Sean. Can you tell us more about this? Is this is this the kind of clientele even behind the chair that you, you know, are looking to grow um, still? That's a really good question. I have had overall really good experiences with various folks that I've worked with on set. They've all been pretty awesome and nice and easygoing. I actually still have uh, one of the guys from Stranger Things, Noah Schnapp, who plays Will as my client. And I just, you know, cut his hair as his barber now from a shoot that we met on. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is like, I, I used to think I wanted to be a personal to somebody, but that meant pretty much putting my schedule on hold and dropping everything to travel with them. Yeah. And while I think that's a wonderful opportunity for the right person, I think that I've found value in having somewhat of a stable schedule. You know, I'm pretty much responsible for the volatility of <laughs> how crazy or how quiet it is. Um, whereas, you know, if, if you have like a, a large celebrity and they say, you know, we have to be in this country and we have to be on this set and we have to be, you know, across town in 30 minutes. For me, I think maybe five years ago, that's exactly where I wanted to be. But now I just, I like having my own space and knowing that the majority of the week, that's where I'm going to spend my time. And with familiar faces, you know, that look forward to me and, and value me just as much as I value them. Yeah, 100%. I loved what you said earlier. You know, my normal clients are celebrities to me. They're, you know, good at whatever they do. Yeah. And uh, there's so much value in what you just said. You know, I, looking back on my experience right when I got out of school, that's what I wanted to do is work, you know, with celebrities. And I feel like that's, you know, mm -hmm. a common dream for the young, for the young hairstylist or barber. Uh, <laughs> that is, you know, that's something that I think people don't understand. There's a different, um, you know, style of working when it comes to working with people, you know, of that matter, sometimes, you know, they've got such a crazy yeah. schedule and, you know, you sometimes have to meet their needs before yours. Absolutely. So I want to know a little bit more about her chair, his hair. Can you tell me, tell me what this is and tell, tell me all about this. Sure. Besides being the best tongue twister that I think I could ever come up with, um, her chair, his hair started actually when I was working at my second barbershop job. And I was getting really frustrated with a very similar conversation that came up, which was, hi, my name is Cassie. I'm a barber. I'm a men's groomer. I'm a makeup artist, you know, whatever I decided to add after barber. Yeah. And folks would turn to me, men and women, by the way, and they would say, oh, you're a hairstylist. And I'm so adamant when I tell folks there is absolutely nothing wrong with being one or the other. Your choice is your choice to pursue whichever path suits you best. Mm -hmm. But if you met someone who was like in computer technology and you, you know, and, and worked for a Fortune 500 company and they said, yeah, I do like all the data and analytics and computer technology for X, Y, and Z. And you say, oh, that's fine. You fix your friend's computers. You'd be like, what? No, I just told you I have this amazing title that I'm proud of. 
And that's how I felt about being a barber. I felt that I was being reduced to my gender, uh, a gender stereotype at that, and that it was allowing folks to think that being a hairstylist was any lesser than being a barber or vice versa. It's a very strange conversation. And what I wanted to do was create a platform, a social media platform, of course, my number one nemesis, uh, to promote women as barbers. Because to me, it was, you know, really important to level that playing field, right? We had American Salon, we had, um, you know, the, the beauty trade shows. And even at the beauty trade shows, barbers weren't properly represented eight or 10 years ago, really until about four years ago. And I wanted folks to know that women could be barbers, just like men could be gasp straight hairstylists. It's crazy. I know. But like, I really wanted to push that forward. And so it really just started as a page to promote women and also to promote women doing the work, not just the after, not just a photo of them sitting in the chair looking pretty. I really wanted folks to see the videos and the photos of these women doing the work so that it was indisputably their work. And after, you know, about a year or so, or actually just less than a year, we were invited to work a booth at at Premiere Orlando of all shows. And it happened to fall on our one year anniversary. And from there, it just kind of created this idea in my head that, you know, folks would come out to watch these women, especially other women or people who, you know, are non-binary or trans and want a safe space that isn't hyper-masculine, which a lot of barber shows at the time, unfortunately, were. And so I started uh, the first Her Chair, His Hair showcase in New York City. And about a week before it, it felt like something was missing and I couldn't figure out what. And I realized we were doing pay as you go at the door because, you know, we didn't really have a leg to stand on to prove to folks the value of it. And all the women were flying in on their own dime because they were so excited to participate. Nobody, except for Mr. Beauty Equipment in Long Island, was willing to sponsor it. And even then, I still had to go pick up the chairs because that's an extra cost to him. Uh, So he sponsored the barber chairs. And I paid about $4,000 out of pocket for this event. And so then I decided to, you know, really be stubborn and double down. And when folks said, you know, um, what do you feel like is missing? I said, I think we should take all the money we raise and donate it to breast cancer research. (laughs) They said, what? You're coming out of pocket. Like, this is crazy. Like, just take the money. I was like, nope, we're donating it. And so what we did from there on out was every year we would choose a different charity to raise money for and donate to. So the first year we raised about $1,000 for breast cancer. The second year we raised about twenty. dollars 400, I want to say, for domestic abuse. Um, we actually sent the check to the PBA's Cut It Out uh, nonprofit. The third and fourth year, we decided to bring it more local and donate to a really great nonprofit called The Door, which is a great safe space for inner city kids under the age of 21. And it's completely free to them. And we raised about 7,000 one year, and I think about 10,000 the next. So all in all, we donated about 17,000 to them. And then this final year, not this year, 2020, unfortunately, due to COVID, but the year prior, we actually became our own nonprofit. And that was stressful (laughs) and a headache. And I'm proud of it. But anybody that's looking to create a nonprofit, 
if I could give any piece of advice, it's hire a great team of lawyers and, um, you know, accountants that know what they're doing so that you can just learn rather than try to do the research like you're a professional. Mm -hmm. And we raised about $13,000. And unfortunately, the goal was to distribute to women for business loans, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Micro business loans. But the platform we chose, uh, interestingly enough, showed showed, sorry, uh, the platform we chose showed a bit of bias towards the barber community and single-handedly deleted or denied every application, even though we were willing to fund it. And so we held on to the money. And then when COVID hit, we decided to take the money and distribute it as cash grants to women and men, but it ended up going to mostly women around the country. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) Um, thank you. I, that, I mean, that's an even better story than I thought I was going to hear. I it's I'm almost blown <laughs> away at how hard, even you know, in the barber industry, that you're having to fight the stereotype. I'm I'm just I'm I don't know if I'm shocked or I just was uneducated on this, you know, before our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I love that you're out there, you know, fighting that stereotype and you know just beating it. I think not only fighting it, you're beating Thank it. You. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and you know, I I will say this for anyone who is listening: the guys overall have been overwhelmingly supportive. I mean, yeah. you know, you're always going to have folks that no matter what. They see things like they see things and that's that. But her chair, his hair itself, plus, you know, all the other women driven organizations for barbers uh, have been really welcomed by the industry. And I think that's even proven in our analytics on our Instagram. I think it's about 60 percent women the last time I checked and 40 percent men. Sometimes it's been 55 and 45 at our events. It's about the same numbers. Um, So overall overwhelmingly like the community itself is really supportive i think it just goes to show like especially in the barber community it's like what can you do skill wise because as long as you have skills or as long as you're willing to learn and grow we respect you yeah absolutely i think that's i think that's amazing what is what's next for her chair his hair so unfortunately right now, um, I say unfortunately because I still suffer from a bit of guilt. Her chair, his hair is on a bit of a hiatus. Um, you know, it did grow to the point where I needed a team. And with everything that happened with COVID, I I can't really ask folks to donate their time like that when all of us are struggling to get by and myself included, we need to focus on what does provide us an income. I do hope in the future, whether that's in the next year or two years, to be able to reinvigorate it and bring a proper team to it. And, you know, hopefully once COVID passes, we can go back to doing our fundraisers, Mm -hmm. emphasis on the fun. But, you know, right now I needed, I I spoke to my boyfriend about this, um, who's um, really supportive and always a great sounding board. And I expressed my guilt, but I think, for everyone right now, it's not fair to ask folks to deliver on projects or content or social media or, you know, ideas or anything like that. Um, brainstorming sessions when every day, you know, even I show up into the studio and I may show up with a full book, but the moment, you know, our governor goes on TV and talks about spikes in numbers or he talks about potential shutdowns or shoot, it rains outside and that means people are packing in the subways or the buses. My schedule can go from 110% booked to 40% booked 
in a blink of an eye. Um, it's really volatile, I think, for a lot of folks in our industry right now. So for the time being, her chair, his hair is taking a little break, a little, you know, uh, rest and relaxation. But I, I do look forward to creating opportunities for micro loans and cash grants for women and for their businesses in the future. Because I think despite us not seeing a pandemic in most of our lifetimes, uh, barbers and hairstylists will be one of the industries that prevail. And folks are going to want us and perhaps need us more than ever to feel normal again once the numbers I love get that you said control. that. I was actually about to ask you what your thoughts are. Um, totally off subject and a little bit rogue, <laughs> but when you said that, you know, you're yeah. going to work and you're you're 100% booked and you could be less than 40 by the end of the day. And, you know, I own a salon as well with multiple stylists and that's our, that's our, yeah. that's our story as well right now, even right here before the holidays. People are just a little Yep. It's humbling <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's definitely lots of lessons learned and, and, you know, having to keep spirits up of my stylist mm -hmm. and, you know, people are just a little bit different right now, but I love that you said that. I hope everyone heard what you said. I think it's going to be us that people depend on to feel normal again. Yeah. I know I do. You know, I get my hair done. I get my brows and my lashes done. And I mean, I I'm pretty low maintenance, so I don't go nearly as frequently as many people. But when I do finally get to sit in someone's chair or lay on the technician's bed for my lashes, I just decompress for a moment. And I think what this world needs once this has, you know, kind of been figured out to any degree is just to take a collective Deep yes, 100%. <laughs> I love that. I love your attitude towards that. Well, I want to finish up by asking you, and we've talked a lot about it already. Um, do you have a specific mm -hmm. story about, you know, beating, beating the stereotype or maybe, you know, someone broke your heart about the stereotype? Um, anything that sticks out in your mind? I mean, there's a few. The first was obviously about my ex-boyfriend uh, saying what he said to me, you know, women not becoming barbers. And well, up until last year when I started dating my now boyfriend, you know, my serious boyfriend, I was actually cutting yeah. his hair. <laughs> He approached me about two years ago and he said, hey, Cass, nobody can cut my hair. I've seen your work. Can I please come in? I will pay you your yeah. full rate. I was like, sir, you will pay Double. an extra 20%. You're nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not that my boyfriend uh, had any issue with me cutting his yeah. hair. I just felt like, you know, what we do is very personal. And I felt like it was the right time for me to say, hey, you know, we got your hair in a good place. Here's a couple suggestions. Go to these folks and, you know, they'll take good care of you. Um, for me, that was my professional and personal boundary. But besides that, you know what is, I don't want to call it a microaggression because I feel like that minimizes folks who really deal with microaggressions every single day of their lives for things they cannot change or nor do they want to change. But just on a daily basis, occasionally um, I, I face clients who almost mm -hmm. come in trying to test me. Like I'm a bull and they're a red flag, <laughs> which they are a red flag. However, I am not a bull. And, uh, you know, they just say things like, oh, let's see as good, you know, if you're as good as what people say or, oh, or, you know, I've never had a woman cut my hair. This should be an interesting experience. I'm like, I don't know why it's any different, right. but okay. Uh, <laughs> luckily my booking system schedulicity does have the option to not allow folks to book online. So occasionally when I get that kind of vibe from someone, I don't abuse it. I don't overuse it, but 
every now and then, I think we all get a client, whether it's for a straight up aggression or just a weird comment or a very strange vibe where you just don't feel 100% comfortable with them. And every now and then I think to myself, again, five years ago, eight years ago, I was rearing to prove someone wrong. But now it's like, I, I shouldn't have to do that. You know, you came here by the grace of the five stars that my clients left me or by mm -hmm. the word of mouth that you heard. You put your credit card down when you booked for me. So I think if anything, it should be both of us trying to show the other that we're worthy of each other. So yeah, I mean, it's just like small things like that on a daily basis, but yeah, luckily absolutely. not too frequently. I love that answer. What about, what would you tell um, any woman that wants to become a barber? What's your biggest advice for her? Mm -hmm. Do it. <laughs> um, you know, don't, don't be afraid. I, I think we're all mm -hmm. afraid for different reasons, whether it's the fear of messing up or the fear of not being accepted, but just do it. And also, you know, just do your research because even though my school didn't look pretty on the outside, I had a teacher who was willing to give me every piece of knowledge he had in his 40 years of being a barber that, you know, other kids, especially the guys laughed off because he has thick accent and he dressed, you know, a little bit nineties for their liking, which I found to be warm and inviting, you know, really don't, don't be uh, overcome by the glitz and the glamour of some of these really beautiful schools, because I know some of these cosmetology schools teach great color technique, great cutting technique. But when it comes time to the barbering course, they charge a lot of money because their you know, campus is beautiful, but their teachers sometimes aren't even barbers themselves. So, you know, just don't, don't shy away and, and be armed with information so that you I know that, that you're getting your money's worth. Cassie, you've got great advice. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Thank you. I can listen <laughs> hey, to myself more often. I think that's all. I'm always like, I wish I would <laughs> listen to my own advice. I would, I would be way better off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, Cassie, I've enjoyed having you on here today so much and, you know, even educating me. And so I know our listeners are going to get so much education from, you know, just your, your part of the industry and, and everything that you're doing. So I'm excited for that and what's to come. And I'm definitely going to keep watching you on social media. Um, but can you tell everyone else where to find you on social media? So that way they can you know reach out, follow and, you know, connect with you. Sure. So the best way possible is beyond the beard. <laughs> uh, my Instagram is at beyond the beard. My website is beyond the beard nyc.com. I think I even have a Twitter, but let's not go with that one. Um, and even Facebook, you can find me under beyond the beard uh, NYC. All my contact info, you know, is on my website. You can DM me. I, I do have a personal page. I'm trying to be better about promoting the Beyond the Beard page. So I'm going to say that on here. Um, but yeah, I offer currently Zoom classes. I, through Schedule SA, my booking platform, I've offered quite a few free classes. So I encourage anyone, you know, to go to my website and you can have access to those free classes. I know we all have the time and we don't have the money. So hopefully that's of help. And, um, you know, if all else fails, you can always just shoot me a DM and I'm happy to hop on a call or answer any I love questions. That, Kathy. You're making, has. you're making moves in the industry <laughs> for sure. Well, if you enjoyed <laughs> listening to the We're Just Hairdressers yeah. podcast, make sure you subscribe to our channel and leave a review to let us know your mm -hmm. thoughts. Thanks for listening to episode 10 of We're Just Hairdressers. I'm Tara Harville reminding you that building wealth from behind the chair is attainable. Okay.